Now, as we continue in our series, Joy in the Journey, in the book of Philippians, it's here that Paul reminds us of what really matters most in life. Last time we saw the joy robber of legalism. And tonight we are going to see this joy robber of you and I focusing on the trash instead of on the truth. That if you and I aren't careful, we will let the rubbish of life ruin the joy of life. And there are a lot of things in this life that we can chase after. And, and quite honestly, a lot of the things that we choose to chase after end up being more garbage than they are God. And tonight, Paul is going to reveal to you and I the trash and the treasure. And he reveals to us the truth of that treasure by saying it revolves around a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he reveals to us the treasure is knowing Jesus, the treasure is the righteousness of Jesus, and the treasure is fellowship with Jesus. And my prayer for us as a church is that we won't be tempted to trade the true treasure for trash. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. So that one way or the other I will experience the resurrection of the dead. It's always amazed me that when things go really, really well for people that don't know Jesus, they're elated, jumping up and down. But when things go south, they go from being elated to being deflated really quick. And it amazes me to watch people kind of have this yo-yo experience of highs and lows in life, and there's no consistency to their life. They're elated, they're deflated. And it depends on where you find them. And you'll see it on Facebook. Oh, everything's, oh, everything's, and they're just up and they're down. But you see, here's the thing. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can have a consistency because our joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on Christ, right? And because our joy is based on a consistent relationship with Jesus, not consistent circumstances, That allows you and I to walk above the junk of this life. That allows you and I to tread over the waves of worry without becoming sucked under them. But it also protects us from these false highs. And we need both of those things. We need that perspective. Because you see, you and I can get so focused on the trials that we lose our joy. You and I can also end up getting so focused on 
our sinful desires that we lose that joy. If we're not careful, we will have this tendency, and that is to define our worth in terms of our own efforts and our own achievements. The 19th century Bible scholar G.S. Bowles pointed out the ultimate futility of life, of putting all of life wrapped around our ambitions, but no dedication to God. In other words, where you and I say what really matters is to be ambitious people, but the Almighty is never involved in that. And he points to four past incredibly successful people to make his point. And he says this, Alexander the Great was not satisfied even though he had completely subdued the nations. He wept because there were no more worlds to conquer and he died at an early age in a state of debauchery. Ambition apart from God. Hannibal filled three bushels with the gold rings he had taken from the knights that he had slaughtered and yet he committed suicide by swallowing poison Few noted his passing, and he left this earth completely unmourned. Ambition without God. He goes on to say, Julius Caesar stained his garments in the blood of one million of his foes, and he conquered 800 cities only to be stabbed by his best friends at the scene of his greatest triumph. Napoleon, the feared conqueror, after becoming the scourge of Europe, spent his last years in banishment. Is it any wonder that Solomon says to you and I that the prospects are poor for those who choose to try to find satisfaction in ambition apart from God? Charles Swindoll offered this advice. He said something with all of, within all of us is stroked or warms up to human strokes. We are motivated to do more when our efforts are noticed and rewarded. That's why they make things that are impressive like trophies, silver platters, bronze plaques, and gold medals. What does it do? It drives us to do more, to gain greater recognition, to achieve more valuable rewards, better pay, higher promotions. But how easy is it for us to forget that none of those accomplishments give a person what he or she may lack deep within? That's why they cannot bring lasting satisfaction and how much more importantly, none of them earns favor with God. You see, I think the chief joy stealer of our day, of our day are the demands of human achievement, accomplishing more and accomplishing more. We are at a place in our country today that we almost worship the workaholic. Do you realize how sick it's gotten? We worship the workaholic. We're telling our kids, achieve, achieve apart from the Almighty. And it leads to this empty kind of life. And I'm going to tell you, as, as destructive as the workaholic is in their workplace and in the home, it's even more deadly when it comes to their relationship with God. When they apply that same mentality that I can achieve, because one of two things happen. We either strive to try to gain God's love, and many of us have grown up with this idea that God is just constantly disappointed in us. 
The God is just up there waiting for us to mess up so he can hit us with a big stick. And nothing is further from the truth. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. When we have that mentality, it drives us to try to gain God's love through our work, to try to achieve. Or it causes us to turn to other things to try to save us. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, what was he doing? He was working to achieve a form of righteousness. And do you realize how sick it got? His twisted mind was, if I would persecute the followers of Jesus, God would be pleased with me because God only loves the Jews. And how many of us today are disappointed and disillusioned because we're working to try to achieve and try to earn some form of righteousness. But what happened to Saul, who later became Paul? He was knocked off his horse, right? We need to be knocked off our horse. We need to be made low before God. And he heard the voice of Jesus, and he experienced the blinding light of the Lord of life. You see, when Paul got saved, he realized something as a new believer. Something that I I don't know that we have quite figured out yet, but he tells us here this truth, this this incredible nugget of truth, and that is that two things, that that there's some things that you and I are going to have to let go of. There are some things that you and I are going to have to lose, but there's also some things that we're going to gain. You see, there is trash and there's treasure. And the question as Christians is, are we willing to lose the trash? Now, that seems like a crazy question, doesn't it? Because when we pose it that way, and that's what Paul's saying, all of the stuff that we're letting go of is really garbage. It's the rubbish. It's the trash can. And the question becomes, are we willing to not just let go of the trash can, but grab a hold of the treasure chest? And so as you and I think here about what it is that we are giving up, the first thing he talks about in the loss is the desire of the flesh. Notice with me in verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, right? They were desirable. And so I chased after them and I accumulated them. And what were those things? Well, last time we were in the book of Philippians together in our series, Joy in the Journey, we discovered that he had prestige. He had this position. He was a Pharisee. He was religiously successful. He had people that were following him. One of the things that's kind of interesting when we were over there in Israel is the, um, the, a lot of the uh, Jews who are practicing Judaism today, they will wear these hats but they're all kind of a little different. And I was talking to uh, our Jewish guide, and I said, hey, what's the, different, the, the deal with the different hats? And he said, those signify the rabbi that they're following. That's the hat of the rabbi that they follow. And remember, Jesus was considered to be a rabbi, and he had his disciples that were following him, and John had disciples following him. And so here's Paul, this this great Pharisee, this great rabbi, so to speak. And he would have had people going, man, I'm, I'm in Paul's camp. Feels good, doesn't it? I got people. You have to give up those people. And what, what he's saying here is, 
I had this desire in my flesh for position, for power, for recognition. I was at the pinnacle of success from a worldly standpoint. And all of these things that I desired were valuable and they profited me from a worldly standpoint. But then I met Jesus and everything I thought was of utmost importance compared to Jesus was trash. And the question we've got to ask ourselves today is, what are we comparing the things to? And so I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the true desire of your heart? Are you desiring the things of the flesh like Paul did that, that can seem to be good things? In fact, they're things that today we're promoting for our kids. Go get a great education so you can get a great job so you can achieve, Right? The danger there as Christian parents is if we separate that from a relationship with Jesus, what are we doing? Hey, I want to raise my kids to chase after the trash. No, I want my kids to, raise, to be raised to chase after the treasure. And so I want to ask you, is the deep desire of your heart, is it the things of the flesh or the things of God the Father? Secondly here, it's not just the desire of the flesh. Notice it is also the denial of the flesh. Because he says, these things I once thought valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. You and I are either going to desire these things or deny. And here's the interesting thing. When we're desiring Christ is the most important thing then we will deny all of the rest. But when we start to deny these things that are trash, guess what happens? We start to deny Christ. I, I don't have time for you, Jesus. I, I got this thing I got to go to. I, I, I've got more important things. In fact, Jesus, I, I, the way that my life is being lived right now, it's pretty obvious that you are not preeminent, that you really fit more into the trash category than the treasure category because where I'm investing my time, my treasure, and my talents really is not in you and in your kingdom. We all have goals. We all want to achieve, right? If we are honest, there's probably very few of us here tonight that don't have some kind of goals or some plans to achieve something. Here becomes the question. In light of eternity, are all the goals that I have and all the achievements and the things I want to accomplish, do they matter? In light of eternity. Because here's the separating point if all of the goals that I have and all of the achievements that I want to accomplish in light of eternity don't matter, then they're trivial. And if they're trivial, put them in the trash. And how many of us today, we are not evaluating what we're investing our life in based on eternity. We're basing it on an earthly measure, not an eternal measure. And so we've got to be asking ourselves the question, what is the priority? And if this is the priority, I need to pursue the priority. You see, the third thing that we see here in the loss is deliverance from the flesh. Do you notice what he says? Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. You and I are delivered from the flesh when we what? Discard. 
But how many of us today, we're still fighting that flesh constantly because we're feeding that flesh? We're not denying, we're not discarding those things. What was it that Paul gave up? We're talking about some pretty important things in our culture, right? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. His power, man, that's just not something you want to give up. The world will tell you you are crazy. Can you imagine his followers when they saw Paul giving up everything to follow Jesus Christ? They probably thought, crazy. You are at the pinnacle of success and you're going to chase after Jesus Christ? I hear the same thing today. People who are doctors and they say, you know what, I'm giving it all up to go to the mission field. You're crazy. You've lost it. No, I've gained perspective. Because I've realized why God has had me being studying to become a doctor. I've realized what the true intent of my life and how I want to pour that into people. And he gave up his position. He gave up his power. He gave up his profession. Who does that? If you were at the pinnacle of success as a Pharisee, and you have a whole bunch of people following you. You don't walk away from that. You do if you meet Jesus. And so I want to ask you this question. What is it that you need to let go of? What, what is the trash in your life that you need to truly allow Christ to pry out of your hands so he can replace it with the treasure? Because I think one of the hardest things for us to give up is self. We can give up our position. We can give up our power. We can even give up our profession if need be. But we really don't want to give up self. And I want to show you a couple pictures. And we're going to put them up here. And the first one is of the amphitheater. This is in Caesarea Maritimo. This is now ruins for the most part. But 2,000 years ago, Herod the Great had his city here. In fact, Jerusalem was not the capital at that point. This was the capital. Jerusalem was just the religious center of Israel. But this became the capital right on the coast. And this is the arena, and this would have been where gladiators would have fought. This would have been where all the crowds came for all the sporting, uh, the spectacles. This would have been where they would have reenacted all of the Roman battles because that's how they would teach these Jewish people uh, and, and the local people. Here's what the Romans did. We're going to teach you Roman history. And we had the opportunity to kind of sit in there and, and take that in. And then the next picture is what is left of Herod's palace. You can see those pillars off and, and then you see that little bit of uh, um, land jutting out into the sea. Herod built his palace clear out in the ocean. Herod the Great constantly was trying to defy God. He did it here at Caesarea where he said, you know what, it's not enough that I'm just going to have my beach home right here. I'm going to build a massive palace and I'm going to build pillars out into the sea that support it. I'm actually going to defy God and build where there is no land. He did the exact same thing later on the Temple Mount. He said, you know what? God, your mountain, Mount Moriah, where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac and you provided a substitute, where the first and second temple was built, where Jesus Christ will return to, your mountain's not big enough, God. I'm going to build onto your mountain. 
So I want you to understand Herod's mentality. He kind of saw himself as as supreme. And what's interesting about this region is this is where, if you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter came and, and shared the gospel with Cornelius, the centurion, and he was saved. This is where the gospel really first came to the Gentiles, and then it went out. But what is significant for you and I tonight is this is where Paul spent two years in prison. Felix kept him there because he wanted Paul to pay him money, a bribe, and he wouldn't. This is where he preached to Festus and and to others who almost were persuaded with the gospel. This is where Paul would have heard the gladiator fights, and the next picture actually shows just over from Herod's palace. This is um, an area where they had a massive chariot racing circuit, where they would race the chariots, and then it would come in real narrow, where they'd have to fight with each other, and that was obviously the the higher-paying seats, where you got to see people bleed a little. But Paul would have heard all of this. And think about all the letters that he wrote to the churches during that time. Now, he didn't write the book of Philippians or the letter to the Philippians. That was later when he went to Rome, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But think about the phrases that he stated in the other books. Fight the good fight of faith, and you can hear the gladiators fighting in the background. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Do you start to get a picture of how Paul spent his time in prison? He didn't pout. He invested that time into the church. Why? Because there were some things he was willing to let go of. Now, I want you to see the last picture. This doesn't seem like that impressive of a picture. It's just a natural harbor. But you see, it was... One of the wonders of the ancient world, natural wonders. Because this particular harbor, Herod built up, and at one point, over 300 ships could moor here. It was a massive trading area. And do you remember what happened after those two years there in, in prison? Paul appeals to Caesar, and what happens? He's put on a ship and sent from Rome to Rome. This is the very port. I want you to just sort of picture all of those ships and all of that activity for a moment and to realize in the midst of those 300 ships, there was one ship that was carrying what everyone else would have considered an insignificant man named Paul. And what's significant about this picture is not that when Paul set sail that the ship was wrecked, that Paul ended up spending a little time in the water before he got to land, that Paul ended up being bit by a poisonous snake and finally made it to Rome only to be imprisoned by Nero. By the way, the next time you think you're having a crummy week, I would encourage you to read a little bit about what happened to Paul. You know, there are weeks as a pastor that I go, I wasn't shipwrecked this week, praise Jesus. I didn't spend 24 hours in the water, no, not sure if I would survive. I wasn't beaten within an inch of my life three different times. I wasn't beaten by rods. I wasn't stoned this week. I wasn't bitten by a poisonous snake. You know, perspective, we all need that. But here's what's absolutely remarkable about this picture. That was the last sight that Paul would have had of his homeland, the Holy Land. Because Paul never made it back. What are you willing to lose and give up for Jesus? It's a tough, tough question, isn't it? And there are so many things that we want to put in this category that really fit in the trash can. 
And, and it's really easy. Imagine for a moment that, that God's calling you to go to another place in the world to preach the gospel, and you don't know it at that time, but this is the last time that you will see this country, this area, what you know as your homeland. You willing to give that up? What amazes me today in the church is, especially in America, is we define ourselves more by being Americans than we do by being Christians. We spend more time defending our country than we do the cause of Jesus Christ. And here's the challenge. What, what are we treasuring today? Because for many of us, in our little treasure box is our country, not Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you. Are, you. are you willing to let go of some things in order for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach some people around you? What about your neighbors, your friends, your family? Are, are you willing to, to let go of a little pride? Are you willing to, to, to be open to maybe being persecuted because you're going to be the light and salt at work? That you're no longer just going to kind of be a closet Christian or a chameleon Christian where you blend in and you're really going to stand out for Jesus Christ and you're going to take some criticism and you're like, man, Jesus, I'm okay losing some friends. I'm okay not having anyone sit with me at the cafeteria at school. We've got this opportunity for Michael to come in and to share an amazing testimony of how God transformed his life. And there are people in this community that go into hell who, when we share, hey, Jesus changed my life, well, yeah, you're pretty good. But it's kind of hard to argue his testimony. Are you willing to let go of some things, maybe some of your schedule, to just simply reach out to people in this community and say, look, I'm going to this, I've always been interested, would you just come with me? No cost. What is it that we're willing to let go of? And, and here's the big question. Why won't we let go of the trash can? That makes no sense to me. Unless you see the trash as treasure. And if we see today these things that we don't want to let go of, if we see them as treasure, over my dead body, you're going to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. I'm not giving up the trash. And how sad the believers in Jesus Christ are not wrapping their arms around the treasure chest of truth. And instead, they're carrying the trash. Man, I'm not willing to let go of this. I'm not willing to let go of this. And we have all of these pointless fights and arguments on Facebook over things that ultimately don't matter. We're not here to save America. We are here to save Americans. And I know that's not a popular uh, message in the church today, which absolutely blows my mind. We've had people quit this church because they don't like that. Because they do, they care more about their country than the cause of Jesus Christ. Anyone that would take the Lord's name in vain, they would never stand up for Jesus. But boy, someone touches on their political beliefs and cannons go off. To the battlements, we're going to defend it to the end. What are you treasuring? You see, I think that the reason we don't hold on to the treasure is because we are so busy holding on to the trash is not room for the treasure of God. So let's talk about that treasure for a moment. What exactly was it that Paul gained? He gained a relationship with Jesus. And the first thing that he says here is knowing Jesus. That's the true treasure. 
You see, the treasure here isn't just gaining through losing. There is a gain in letting go of the garbage, right? If you're carting a bunch of garbage around and you're able to let go of that, man, that is gain. But that's not the gain he's talking about. It's not just getting rid of the garbage. It's going after the treasure. And he says here that compared to all the things that I've let go of, knowing the infinite value of my Lord Jesus Christ, is so much more. Here's the reality, church. If we would just understand that we're letting go of trash, it's a good thing, and what we're grabbing a hold of, we will never, ever regret. Do you know Jesus in that way to where you're like, yes, that's all I want. I want to know Jesus. Paul here, as he talks about knowing Jesus, is not talking about knowing about Jesus. How do we know that? Well, prior to his salvation, he knew about Jesus. He chased after the followers of Jesus Christ. He knew the claims of Jesus Christ. He knew about Jesus. He just didn't know Jesus. See, there's a difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowing. How many of you are aware that the former uh, Soviet uh, leader that everybody feared, Khrushchev, he knew a lot about the Bible and he knew a lot about Jesus? Because, see, when he was a boy, he would go to church and he would win all of these tournaments for being able to memorize the most scripture. Everybody was amazed and absolutely floored at all of the scripture that he had memorized. He knew about Jesus, but his life proved that he didn't live for Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you, do you know Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? You see, here's what was sad is while we were there, there were people who were really, really religious and they go to the Western Wall, the closest place that they could get to the temple and they would pray and they would take their prayers and write them on pieces of paper and stick them in the cracks of the wall and they would spend hours wailing and praying and, but they don't know Jesus. They just know about Jesus. So how do you and I know Jesus the way that Paul knew Jesus? Let me ask you, do you want to know Jesus the way Paul knew Jesus? To where you can spend two years in prison, get on a ship that's shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, and go back to prison and still be worshiping Jesus? How many of us would be whining the first month of the first imprisonment? Do you want to know Jesus the way Paul knew Jesus? How do we know Jesus the way Paul knew Jesus? First, you have to have an encounter with God. There has to be an authentic come-to-Jesus meeting where you come face-to-face with the living God and you recognize your sinfulness. You recognize that all of your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags and you cry out for the Savior to save you from your sin. But that's where for many of us we, we stop. You see, really knowing Jesus the way Paul knew Jesus wasn't just being saved. It was in the everyday practical working of relationship. It was in the walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus. It was in the listening to Jesus and living for Jesus. Periodically, I will listen to Pandora and I'll listen to Christian music. And Pandora always asks me the same question after a period of time. Here's the question. Are you still listening? Right? You ever gotten that? Pops up. Are you still listening? Why do they care if I'm still listening? Because they don't want to waste bandwidth on someone that doesn't care or is not even in the room anymore. And I think God asks us the same question. Giles, are you still listening? Because here's the thing. It's not about you and I being in the word of God. It is about the word of God being in us. Is that the way that you read the word? 
Have you ever been in those spots where you've got a million worries on your mind, you're thinking about everything else, and you're sitting there, and you're reading through Psalms or wherever, and you're reading and reading and reading, and you get done, and you're like, I have absolutely no idea what I just read. And God's got the sign up. Giles, are you still listening? You're here, but, but you're not all here. And I want to ask you that question. Are you grabbing onto the treasure of knowing Jesus? Because we make it sometimes a lot about church. We make it a lot about all kinds of things, but I'm talking about a real, true, personal relationship. Is that the number one beat of your heart? I want to know Jesus. One of the things that happened when I was in Israel, I was standing there and I was like, how well do I really know my Lord and Savior? How much do I, like the deer, pant after Jesus? Or or have I become content with just sort of a Sunday Jesus and and a little snack during midweek and and I I do my devotionals and and, and maybe Jesus and I, we spend like 15 minutes together every day and, and supposedly he is the most important thing in my life. And yet Netflix consumes how much of my day? The internet consumes how much of my day? Other people consume how much of my day? You see, the first treasure here is knowing him. The second is the righteousness of Christ. And this is right standing with God. Isn't it an amazing thought that we can stand before God and be right? That's an amazing thought to me. When I was on that temple mount, I was reminded in my heart of the temple that is no longer there. It's replaced by a mosque now. And and there was there was this entrance where, where the Gentiles could go, but they could only go that far. And then the Jews could go a little further. And then there was the Holy of Holies where only the high priest once a year could enter, right? I mean, think about that. It's amazing. Around the hem of his garment, he had 72 little bells shaped like pomegranates. And inside, there were these little bells. They found one of them a couple of years ago, and they did a sound analysis on it. And you know what the sound does? It's a calming sound. Why would you need 72 little bells to calm you? You're going into the very presence of God. No one else does this in one time a year. Can you imagine how special that was? And what happened when Jesus Christ died? The veil was torn in two, and we have full access to God every day to stand right before God. But you see, Paul, prior to getting saved, what did Paul do? Paul tried to earn that righteousness, a works-based, not a faith-based righteousness. And he was working really hard. God, am I right now? God, am I right now? No, you're not. You see, there's a technical term for this, imputation, which means that Jesus Christ puts his righteousness into our account. That prior to being saved, Paul was absolutely bankrupt. He was absolutely broken. He had nothing in the bank. And think about all of the work that he did day after day after day in the name of God. And yet he was absolutely bankrupt before God. And then what did Jesus Christ do on that Damascus road? He imparted all of his righteousness into Paul's account. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, do you treasure the righteousness, right standing, right living before God? Aren't you thankful that your right standing before God's not based on your work, but is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary? 
But you see, it's also here, lastly, that we see fellowship with Jesus. The treasure of being able to have a true fellowship with Jesus. And there's several aspects to this. The first is personal. It is a personal experience. Notice what Paul says, I want to know Christ, my Lord. David said the same thing. The Lord is what? My shepherd. I want to ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Has there been a point in your life where you've admitted you're a sinner and you've cried out for Jesus Christ to save you? Because here's the reality. We can go through some pretty dark and dangerous times. We can go through depression. We can go through discouragement. But here's the thing. We're never alone. Jesus said, what? I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Can you realize for a moment that in that prison, Paul wasn't alone. His constant companion was Jesus Christ. As he was writing the letters to the churches, the Holy Spirit was inspiring him. He was not alone. You are not alone. And some of you right now, you're Christians, and you feel like all of your friends have abandoned you. You're discouraged. Things aren't going well. And I want to tell you, you're not alone. It is a personal experience. But it is also a powerful experience. What did Paul say? I want to experience the resurrection. What is that? That God can take people who are dead in their sins and raise them to life. There is no greater power than that. There is no greater power on this planet than the blood of Jesus Christ that, that can resurrect us, that can make us right before God. And yet, think of all the power that we chase after every day that really is trivial. It's trash power. It's not the treasured power of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this question. Whose strength are you doing life in? Is it the power of the resurrection power that Ephesians 3.20 that talks about? And it says that it's, it's beyond anything that we can comprehend or imagine that God can do so much more than anything we can comprehend. That's the kind of power that he has. The power to transform our lives. What power are you leaning on? Is it the resurrection power or is it your power? But here's the real tough one. It is not just personal and it is not just a powerful experience. It is also a painful experience. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. What? That's crazy talk. No, we don't want that in the church today. We want the personal and we want the power, but we don't want the pain today. Why? Because we see it as a problem. We don't see it as profitable in our lives. And so what happens? Every time we come up against these hard things in life, we're like, my prayer life is pretty simple. Jesus, take away all my problems. That's an immature believer who doesn't understand that God wants you and I to understand and experience and know Jesus in a way that we can never know him other than through some heartache and through some hurts. But how many of us today, we're like, the goal of my life is a problem-free life. And I care more about a problem-free life than I do the Lord of life. But let me ask you this question. What if Jesus Christ wants you to get to know him in a way that you can only get to know him through pain and problems? If we're honest, how many times do we grow in the good times? Not much. We grow in the groaning times, right? But what do we constantly pray for? Good times, good times. Why? Because we don't really want to grow. Let me ask you, how serious are you about your relationship with Jesus? Do do you want to know Jesus so much that you're like, I don't just want to know the happy side of Jesus. I want to know the hurt side. I want to know the hard side. 
What if in our attempt to constantly avoid the hurts of life, what we're really avoiding is him? Have you ever thought about that? That I have missed knowing Jesus because I was so caught up in a prosperity gospel that says, Jesus just wants you to be happy. He doesn't ever want you to hurt. That is not true. That is a lie. The pure gospel of Jesus Christ includes a little pain. And it's time for us to preach that in the church today. So I want to ask you, have you ever uttered these words in a prayer? Jesus, I want to suffer with you and share in your death. Do you want to know Jesus that way? We want the personal, we want the power, but I don't know that there's very many Christians today that want the pain. And I'm going to tell you, there were moments on this trip that we stood in some places, and it was painful. It was painful to be there and to think that they wanted a common criminal instead of Jesus Christ. It was painful to stand there on Mount Precipice and to recognize that, that the Jesus had just preached in the synagogue, and they didn't like the message, so they were going to kill the messenger. But his time hadn't come and he slipped away. They took him to the edge of the cliff. His own people. His own town. He was a homeboy. And they were like, we don't like the message. We like the first part. Now we don't like the second part. We're going to get rid of you. You see, this is not just painful. It is also lastly purposeful. Because what does he say? I want to experience the resurrection. Do you know that this is one of the common themes of Paul? He says in 2 Corinthians 4.10, we always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be revealed in our body. Romans 6.5, if we have been united with him in death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Colossians 3.3, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Remember Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, there's some things that we've got to die to. Some things that we've got to let go of. And so I think that for many of us, we will never truly live for the Savior until we say no to self and until we die to self. So can I ask you a personal question? Which of these two are you treasuring? Are you treasuring the trash or the real treasure? Because you are either going to hold on to the trash can or the treasure chest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the reminder of Scripture. Thank you for an amazing opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. And God, I think every one of us that are Christians in here tonight would echo what Paul said. I want to know Christ and I want to know Christ more. And yet, God, there are so many things that get in the way of that desire. And we crowd it out with all of these things that really don't matter. And so would you help us as we sift through our lives personally, individually, to discover what is the trash. And Father, help us to let that go so that we can know Jesus more. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.